0: Before we start today's episode, there's something important for agencies seeking a reliable way to attract new business, especially during busy periods. I want to introduce you to Leaflow Sprint. It's an eight-week program that simplifies your marketing and consistently attracts the attention of potential clients without requiring a massive marketing budget or external sales teams. With my 17 years of experience in aiding agencies to gain visibility and new clients, this program offers a practical and effective approach to lead generation. Forget about unpredictable leads and embrace a method that works across different agency sizes. And if you're keen to learn more, you need to visit caffeine.club/lfs. That's K-A-F-F-E-E-N dot C-L-U-B forward slash L for Lima, F -f 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 of Foxtrot, S for Sierra. Now let's get into today's episode.
1: I wanted somebody who felt like an extension of my team and I needed somebody who was nimble, um, you know, who could kind of evolve as, as we were evolving with things, who wasn't going to be too rigid and who definitely wasn't going to be doing that old school agency kind of, you know, here is what a three month project is going to look like. We'll check in with you maybe at three points along the way. And it's like, no, no.
0: You're listening to Caffeine Espresso, a shiny new podcast series that delves into the way we grow our design businesses. I'm Charlotte Ellis Moldori, a new business and marketing consultant working specifically with the agencies. Every week I'll be interviewing a guest, taking your Q&As or delving deep into a topic that my clients struggle with and generally trying to make growing your agency feel more achievable and less like a job that keeps getting pushed off the to-do list. It's an excuse for me to pick the brains some of the people I most admire and address topics that pique my interest, like how not to feel yucky in the sales role, what do clients really want to hear when you pitch to them, and how not to spend half your studio resources each month on new business. This is a podcast that combines the little things and the big things, because as you know, managing an agency is made up of both. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Natasha Litton, who is responsible for brand, marketing and network strategy at Seedcamp, Europe's most prominent seed fund. Seedcamp has supplied the initial capital to over 360 startups, including four European unicorns, Hopin, TransferWise, Revolut and UiPath. Natasha works on the Seedcamp brand itself and as a support to portfolio companies on everything from defining brand purpose to growth strategies and the art of creative storytelling. She loves working with companies to build meaningful relationships between brands and people and believes very strongly that great purpose, strong culture, unique positioning is key to building a brand that will go the distance. After graduating with an MA from Oxford, Natasha spent a number of years in global agencies and in-house roles, specialising in comms and strategic planning before making the jump over to startup land. She's held full-time CMO roles at consumer-faced businesses in the food, tech and FMCG sectors, so she really understands the growing pains that come with joining an early stage company. Natasha thrives off the hustle and making things grow, something she successfully achieved at Southsay, building the brand into the UK's fastest selling smoothie company. So without further ado, over to Natasha. So Natasha, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to speak to you, somebody in a tangential industry who has experience in uh, brand marketing within a FMCG company as well. So loads of different points of contrast here. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Excited to be here.
0: So first of all, one of my clients has asked, what makes up your nine to five? And I thought it might be an interesting first question, just to get an idea of what your role is at CCAMP.
1: Great question. I wish I knew the answer to it because um, this is probably you know an unoriginal answer, but the reality is it just totally varies um, on a day-to-day, depending on kind of you know big projects that are happening at seed camp. For example, you know, just last week we were launching and announcing our new fund 5 so there was a lot of work going you know on in the back end there in terms of actually like building our processes as an organization ensuring we're fit for purpose as well as you know thinking through the the strategy of how we wanted to market and communicate you know that that message and going out but we also have you know a huge amount of portfolio companies so in any given week i could have sort of 10 of them reaching out to me with anything and everything from uh, we really need an amazing marketing um, person to join us. Do you have any ideas, or how should we be thinking about even designing this process? And what what are what do you think is the right sort of profile we should be looking for right now to, you know, going much deeper in with other companies actually thinking through their brand strategy, either running workshops for the team, or in some cases actually helping them appoint and then navigate the process with a kind of brand design or, or sort of consultancy type agency that they might be working with, because you know more often than not especially at the very early stage when we're investing at Seedcamp, you tend to see that, you know, there isn't naturally that marketing or sort of brand experience nine times out of 10 within the founding team so actually have somebody having somebody who's been there who's worked with various sort of agencies both kind of in-house and you know in an agency capacity is, is pretty helpful for them but yeah it's a uh, it's also just very different to be honest right now in a remote world it's a lot more thinking around um you know process and structure that goes into the sort of support that we offer to our companies and what that looks like and rejigging or rethinking through um, some of the things we would traditionally be doing in person and making sure they're fit for purpose in a virtual first world. But yeah, every day is pretty different, which makes it, um, yeah, part, part of the fun. I can't say I ever get bored. So this
0: is really interesting, actually, what you're saying. Um, I have personal experience with this. I used to head up the marketing at one of c portfolio um companies actually and I would really enjoy coming into the seed camp offices in Google Campus at the time, are you guys still there?
1: We most certainly are, I um, mean currently we're, we're like guys <laughs> when are you going to up so we can come back, uh, <laughs> yeah still still there, over a decade I think now we've been there, just under yeah. And it it w- I felt like a really
0: great contrast to be in a, a tech company which was all very remote and um, intangible in terms of how we were reaching our own customers it was really great to be able to go to see camp um space and listen to a talk i remember listening to an amazing talk by the chief growth guy at transferwise um no
1: joe cross was it no not joe cross um but one of the team head of growth oh man i can't remember the guy's name Milan. say again i'm shouting out names but yes we're still breaking <laughs> guys and they are still giving talks at <laughs>
0: amazing I
1: remember being like how is somebody giving away this content
0: and and then just just generally being in the round tables and the discussions that were going on and um it was a it was a great contrast to be there physically so I can really imagine how that's been a particular challenge for you in terms of supporting your brands over this period of time
1: Um, it it has actually had positives and and minuses to be honest like we've gone much deeper perhaps since you know the days when you're at one of our awesome portfolio companies and thinking around the support that we build not just for the founders but also for their teams so for example now I have like a marketing a group with 65 marketers From across all of our portfolio companies and and that lives really online and actually it being virtual is kind of more helpful obviously having those offline opportunities for them to put a face to the name and then feeling more comfortable throwing things out into that group for advice helps but actually I think they know that they're all there for a reason. And there is that commonality that brings them together. And I've definitely found it easier from a speaking perspective in terms of who we can pull um, from, from being remote, just like access to people is is much easier by oh, reducing yes. the barriers of, of travel. But, yeah. I'll see that. So um, when we're thinking about those,
0: um, those marketers within those portfolio companies that you have a pool of now and you're working closely with them, to what extent do seed stage um companies uh within the c camp portfolio have a budget for brand
1: design i I mean like none at all uh (laughs) i mean look obviously it depends a lot on the the nature of the startup in question right and with consumer and direct consumer and e-commerce plays they often raise much more upfront capital as it's a given that brand and community building are going to be a really integral part of their growth, right? And that strategy. So, you know, while advocacy is the holy grail for early stage companies, when it comes to acquisition, um, especially in that consumer space, you have to be thinking um, around, you know, that compelling and clearly defined proposition that people want to advocate for, right? And that's where the sort of brand design piece generally comes in. It's, you know, who's actually helped you frame and think through all of that stuff. Now, the reality is that for a lot of our startups who are kind of, very b2b heavy or in the kind of open source and devops space spending heavily on on brand design isn't what's going to move the needle for them and it's definitely not my advice that that is where they're spending that said my advice to every single business no matter what sector they're targeting or what stage they're at is you absolutely have to get your foundation right in terms of really like pushing and you know holding yourselves accountable and questioning you know what Is it that we stand for? Why do we exist? Why is that important? Who cares? And and all of those sort of core pillars when it comes to defining, you know, the brand purpose, the vision, mission, the values and and the tone of voice, because those are integral, not just in terms of getting your product to market, but in hiring people to join you along the ride and getting investors and later stage capital on board. So the brand design piece, I think in that early stage, because the product is so often, you know, is, is so nascent, And it's so unknown what the the real kind of customer need is. And more often than not, you're not even at a stage where you've got product market fit. I don't think big investment on brand design is useful um, from a company perspective at that stage or sort of rewarding from an agency perspective at that stage in terms of the longevity of the work you're going to be delivering.
0: Absolutely. And do you think that, I mean, in that In that sense, you've answered the question about which uh, types of companies this is important to. Mm -hmm. But do you think that brand design is overlooked as a powerful asset by some tech startups? Do you Mm -hmm. think there's a challenge around that?
1: Yeah, I, I feel that started to change a little bit just as we've seen sort of more successful kind of big brand and consumer play type businesses emerging. But I think it fundamentally comes from you know, to the earlier point of how few kind of experts you have within the founding team who have experience across these sort of things, they just don't. They have no clue where to start, and so they then fail to understand. You know that whole point around how the brand underpins absolutely every element of your organization, right? And you know, definitely from from my side of things, it's it's the story I care about and what I think is the most critical thing for for startup founders I'm I'm working with, and it's also the piece that they often fail to really nail. Um, so for me, it's actually nailing the story before thinking around what the design elements look like. Because until you've thought through the story, the tone of voice, and language, you know, you should be designing and building off of that. Rather than, you know, when someone sends me a logo in isolation, I'm like, "Cool, it's <laughs> what? What do you want me? What am I going off of here? Do you know what I mean?" And and people start from the wrong place. So again, it is that idea of just getting something fit for purpose. Um, at the beginning and that you think is going to speak to whatever sort of customers or or people you're trying to reach at that point and just knowing you have to be really agile um, and nimble because it's going to evolve like many times over um, as you go through the journey as happens with new brands right
0: yeah and I think that's a really interesting point I think it, it happens with most new brands but I think my experience is all more within this space because they're evolving as they um test the product market fit to understand who they're appealing to they may shift from b2b to b2c to B to and back again or decide to do both as my experience when i was in a tech startup um, and it can be very hard to keep up so i think agility in terms of brand positioning and definitely design is crucially important for any agency to understand if they're planning to partner with somebody in this space
1: i think you know fundamentally a startup is it's your baby, right? For the founder, it is the closest thing to a child if they don't have a child. And maybe it's even closer to them to, than their child if they do have a child, right? <laughs> so What founders definitely want, and definitely from my experience when I was running marketing um, in companies, and I'm sure for you too, I wanted somebody who felt like an extension of my team. And I needed somebody who was nimble, Um, you know who could kind of evolve as as we were evolving with things who wasn't going to be too rigid and who definitely wasn't going to be doing that old school agency kind of you know here is what a three-month project is going to look like we'll check in with you maybe at three points along the way and it's like no, because in three months, things could have moved on for us. And, you know, it's, it's also not helpful for the agencies. One of the things I have to work with our companies on a lot is actually if they want to work with external support, understanding how to brief them and making sure they keep them sort of updated with things that are moving internally, because we've all been there. Right. You're so in the weeds and things happen so fast all the time. If you're not communicating efficiently and effectively to whomever is meant to be supporting you, making life harder for yourselves you know in in the long run and frustrating for the agency um so those are those are definitely um some pitfalls that I've seen
0: and on that point when do you see the best time and way to approach startups in your space is there a particular moment when agencies or brand design partners can kind of point out that they exist um, when it's most useful for them to get involved in the journey um, clearly see camp has an incredible asset by having you in house and you can help um, those um, founders and um, operations people understand what the value is and what foundations they need in place before they can start working with external support but what stage is the best way to
1: reach out to them again it does depend on the type of organization right i've worked with consumer you know businesses who've raised eight million pre-launch to launch a sort of consumer facing product so with nothing apart from a brand and so spending on brand at that point for that type of business was was business critical and so they needed an agency whereas you know I've also seen businesses raising kind of you know a couple of million with product in market and with traction and and early customers and it not being relevant for them there and then so I think there are things that can be done one of them is you know thinking around mentorship thought leadership office hours which is something we do and actually kind of being helpful to those companies I know they're like oh how can I be helpful like most hated phrase in the world but but is kind of true as long as you can you know genuinely deliver some value and it helps in terms of building that early relationship getting on people's radars you know what you see a lot is kind of people follow the work right and you have certain agencies who produce certain work and and those become the things that actually make the startup stand up and listen it's like I want to look like that who did that and those I think, are really, you know, proof is in the pudding. So the better work that can be produced working with startups, no matter what the stage, then helps set a precedent for for other companies you're speaking with. You know, I think the traditional, if you think traditionally of funding rounds and stage of companies, that's changing so fast. You're just seeing more capital flying in a lot earlier. So, you know, when I would, you know, who would have thought that a pre-launch company would raise 8 million in Europe Right, that, that was unheard of, but that's some, you know, and this is by no means the, the majority, but it is some of the stuff that is starting to happen. So I think like building relationships with, you know, VCs, which is definitely something that people are trying to do is, is great, but come at them or come at me with, you know, very tangible, like here is what I have done with startups. Here is how I ran the process. Like here is how we understand what startups need and how we've adapted and tailored our offering because, you know, most big brand agencies want to kind of dabble at the startup thing and they highly underestimate the, you know, amount of work that will go into doing that because startups are demanding. You have no money to waste. And so anything you're spending, you want it to work damn hard for you. Absolutely. And to some extent, having worked in big
0: agency, I don't think that they're best geared up to work with earlier stage startups. I think actually those earlier stage companies need somebody with a similar level of agility and somebody who understands the painful process of birthing a business (laughs) oh gosh it sounds awful (laughs) somebody who's closer to the start of that process themselves who understands some of those growing pains um and has that ability to be able to um grow hopefully
1: at a similar speed or you know support them through that process um You just have to throw out the traditional ways of doing something right, because if you're at a pre-launch startup, what does that mean? It means you have no customers. So you can't be basing everything on, you know, huge amounts of customer research and development. And, you know, to be honest, nine times out of 10 as well for early stage companies, I'm recommending they work with a couple of freelancers. And they, they sort of go at it like that and to get something that is fit for purpose um, as they test and, and get something out to market. And there are some amazing people, actually, a lot of people who've been leaving the big agencies who, have you know, I've sort of been putting forward and who are doing great work for our companies. And, and that's definitely where we're, we're seeing some really good results um, and where I'm getting very positive feedback from the portfolio.
0: That's amazing. It's really good to hear. A lot of our audience are. Similar in the sense that they are the real bright sparks who've been in big agency and now feel it's the time for them to break away. Um, and really interesting, in the last six months, has seen an even bigger trend of people rethinking that. I think lockdown taught round one <laughs> helps a lot of people to rethink what they were doing in terms of their ambitions. So, yeah, it's definitely seen a rise in those really bright people moving um, mm-hmm. into the solo practice who hopefully can be of support to companies within the CAMP portfolio and, and similar places mm-hmm. but what's really interesting to me is hearing you talk about sort of leadership and content that's of value without just pitching to people cold that's mm-hmm. so crucial to me and I feel like the companies that I work with don't always think about this I hate using the word holistic, but this kind of more rounded um, view of marketing um, in the longer term, they tend to just think of new business. Yeah, It's something that's desperate. And in January, they're looking at that pipeline and it looks pretty scary and they know what their burn rate is and how long they've got mm. before the money runs out. And so they just do a whole load of hitting people up on LinkedIn or just annoying people with cold email without any of that supporting aspect I really think there is a role for that cold stuff but I think it has to be alongside showing that you have the knowledge being really generous with Mm -hmm. your experience and um supporting people like you said through office hours I found office hours so helpful when I was in a seed account company Mm -hmm. um that's what I remember most about the experience and those are the providers that I remember best so why wouldn't you go through that? process?
1: good to know yeah I mean it's amazing how people want to offer their support to be honest it's incredible there is also just I guess that degree of qualification and it's it's quite hard when somebody comes at it blind you've not seen any work they've created in a similar space or you know you, you don't know what their process is and how they work with companies and so it's definitely you know especially for someone like me who's who's gone through it multiple times myself and then working with certain companies and helping them navigate through the process in the here and now is, is very helpful just to kind of give me uh you know an understanding of, of what best practice right now looks like because it's obviously you know a fair few years that I've been out for the agency game um and doing any of that but um yeah I think as well you know this idea that doing the startup thing is the sexy thing to do people need to check themselves with the idea because it's a (laughs) slot and it's it's hard work and often people create these like you know pretty just bullshit start bullshit startup package and it's like we're going to slash our fees and it's like no really what you're going to do is shove a really junior person on this you'll you'll put the like creative director in for the kickoff meeting and maybe two other things and you'll still charge them more than a decent freelancer is going to do so you know I'm always going to make sure that you know, to interrogate that stuff when it comes to actually thinking about what's in the best interests of the companies and also push agencies who ask me for my thoughts on this stuff to just, you know, why do you wanna work with startups? Do you understand, um, you know, what you're gonna have to put in um, comparatively and uh, yeah, just making sure people are very aware. And that's not to say that it's not awesome and there's not incredible work that can be created, but you know, it's not gonna be something that pays the bills if you're yeah. you know, a decent agency with your overheads and everything else that comes with it
0: and i guess conversely to what i said before i'm actually seeing a trend with some of my bigger clients where they are investing in terms of their time rather than equity uh, rather than money um to take equity from their startup or the growth phase mm-hmm. company um mm-hmm. in order to be their design supplier and they're doing that so that they can have a part in the potential success of the company just like C Camp does with their um, portfolio, but also um, to give them the credentials within that particular space that allows them to win bigger clients in that area. And obviously, that's something that's off limits to the much smaller design practices. Uh, but I think it's quite interesting to see how desperate some people are to work in this space. Um, And i also see them not necessarily enjoying it even when you know once they've been through that process it's not necessarily rewarding
1: and and that's an interesting one because fundamentally the hardest thing you can ask a founder to part with is equity is is a stake in their business and i you know and you only have to look at what was happening in the us right with the red antlers and gin lanes and, and companies like that the big brand agencies well they sort of said screw you we're building all these brands for everyone else we're actually just going to build our own ones now because we we've got the blueprint we know how to do it like we're churning out all this stuff that looks kind of the same anyway let's be honest so why not why not just own that whole piece ourselves and you know from an agency perspective I've also definitely had agencies and sort of you know freelancers they don't really understand equity and how it works it's not like you're getting straight up cash there are loads of parameters around it it's options it's vesting schedules it's like four year timelines. so this is not a guarantee and i guess you have to really if it pushes you to really interrogate a business and what you think is interesting about it and you genuinely want to be a part of it for a long term incredible i've definitely seen people sort of try and do those for equity things i'm actually seeing a lot less of it these days just because i think there's tension and it doesn't really work um and you have to genuinely be there on on the journey alongside them you know we talked about um, Tom earlier somebody that, that we both worked with and he genuinely felt like an extension of the the company I was at he was somebody who was always on hand and you know we thought of and that's what we wanted as a startup not just a cool we're going to charge you more now this month because you did this but it's like actually I thought that you guys could do with this and I'm going to send you this and that makes you more compelled to want to spend more want to give them more work and, and build that continued relationship.
0: So this was an interesting question that came from uh a long-standing mentor of mine who's actually a UX designer um, who's worked on both sides of the fence and he said given limited time and resources should a startup prioritize product development or brand development? I think we've kind of covered this a little bit already but I just wondered if you had anything else to add on this specific
1: question. Yeah, I guess I, I again I, I hate the idea that it's binary you know that it's one or the <laughs> other you know the, the reality is without a brand vision you're not bringing people on board and then without a product you're not getting customers or you know doing anything we, we talked about some examples of, of companies who can definitely you know sit on on different sides of the coin and, and raise money before there's a product but with a big brand vision and then you know more often than not what you see is that there is a product and a massive market that you can go after and that's what excites people you know fundamentally i think that without a clear product roadmap and customer need for whatever it is you're building you don't have a business, so that's what's critical. But you should still be asking yourself those simple brand questions we we talked about earlier when it comes to actually thinking about building out the product and that roadmap um, and all of those things. But it's interesting, we're, we're onboarding, um, you know, a number of new companies next week that we've recently invested in. And we've asked, you know, what are the biggest issues or challenges you're facing right now? And product came out as number one. Interesting. Mm because you think that was central to because you know fundamentally they don't really have anything yet so you know that is where all their energy and focus is and, and quite rightly should be and so it's really kind of the, the product and building the people you need to help you do that and then how you get it to market and, and those are the kind of three fundamental areas that, that a startup company is thinking about probably in that order
0: Brilliant, so then thinking later down the line when um, Camp portfolio companies are moving into different countries and continents and expanding and you now have four European, you have now four unicorns? Four unicorns, yeah. Amazing. So, I mean, personally I've watched TransferWise um, which is one of the original unicorns within the Camp portfolio, maybe the original, right?
1: The, Re- you know exactly.
0: Um, so I've watched their growth and their focus on net promoter score and all the other kind of strategy that's behind um, their, their marketing um, with great interest over time. Do you see um, any challenges with brand building across different countries and continents um, when they do expand out? Is there anything around design and brand there in particular that you think
1: is of interest to talk about? Mm. Again, I think it really varies on the sector. I mean, you only have to look at Hopin, which is our our latest unicorn company and who went from seed round in February to 2 billion valuation series B this month. And, And it's, you know, I mean, word of the year, but unprecedented. I mean, it's basically the fastest growing company ever. Um, on paper <laughs> still, but actually in terms of you know in terms of revenue and, and what they're driving and in terms of team you know we were in with Johnny the awesome founder you know he was working in that Google campus office with us for you know six months before we went remote and now they're a team of 200 people fully remote and for a business like that which is all about you know, reducing barriers, and it's an online events platform. So the idea that you're having to think about different, you know, brand design for different markets is removed for a business like that, because it is about this unifying and and bringing people together in a space that feels real and relevant to all. Now, that is very unique to that sort of business. If I think also um, we had the director of marketing comms for Revolut, uh, which is another of our, you know, fantastic businesses in the fintech space, do a talk at our marketing summit the other month. And for them, it's, and and actually a trend that's being seen much more is that international expansion is is happening much later now in startups, because they're, and, and rightly so, they should be focusing on how they penetrate, like properly, deeply penetrate their core market before trying to go elsewhere. And it takes a lot of effort to fully understand a you know the strategy around which markets you should be going into but then also understanding how to build and design and deal with regulatory or whatever kind of issues are, are prevalent in that market so you know I think from a brand perspective and definitely when I've worked on global brands you know there was the hilarious moments where you try and do the global toolkit and you sort of see that Mexico's doing this and Russia's doing this and you're like oh wow there is zero uniformity so th- there's definitely a need to think about how a brand flexes and nuances from a I think a messaging perspective likely more than a design perspective to be honest unless there is some sort of symbol that is going to be deeply offensive in whatever market you're going into or or sort of nuances like that but I think it it's damaging especially in a very global world in which we live now in which there's really high movement apart from in 2020 of people around to build many inconsistencies in because then you lose that familiarity um as you move around and and that is fundamentally what builds trust um with a with a brand
0: hello charlotte here i'm going to take a good guess that you're tuning in because you want to grow your agency to the next level so i wanted to let you know about the caffeine free five-day mini course in this fantastic and completely free training, you'll get an email a day for five days, jam-packed full of simple strategies that will give you the courage and confidence to grow your design agency. Just go to caffeine.club, that's K-A-F-F-E-E-N.club and hit free course to get access. Now back to the conversation. And I reckon the nature of um, the tech companies that are within the portfolio and the centralized nature in the sense that they're mostly online or the yeah I think I'm right in saying they're all online um, as their hub there isn't really any room to um, to deviate from that market by market but I do find it interesting as companies grow and as people do work remotely and of course um tech more than any other industry has been remote first for a longer period of time long before mm to 20 mm-hmm. um, how you keep everybody on the same page in terms of um those brand equities and how they're used mm-hmm. um across multiple markets mm-hmm. um so here's uh one that i always love hearing and i didn't write this question on this occasion but what is your favorite example of a brand who's absolutely nailed it in every shape way and form
1: and why oh okay i mean There's a lot of crap out there. I should probably (laughs) And and definitely a lot of brands who are, you know, kind of carbon copies of each other, you know, built for the aspirational Instagram aesthetic, which, you know, I think we're all pretty bored of by now. And uh, if you think about certain consumer type of brands, as well as certain tech brands who've all seen, you know, certain designs and then we're like we need to work with that same company and then everything's kind of soft neutral colors or primary colors and you know lowercase fonts um but moving on from that brands who I love and who's nailed it okay where to start um if I take one from the portfolio it's a company called itch so they've taken you know what's an unsexy product in you know the reality it's it's flea care subscription flea care for your pet But people really love their pets and they want to do, you know, the absolute best by them. And a a lot of the products on the market, you know, actually making someone care about something as you utilitarian sort of as flea care is really quite impressive and they've done it with just really strong creative really you know amazing founders and, and team like with really we talk a lot about kind of founder market fit but who are really credible vehicles for that brand and the execution is amazing you know when they've done things like out of home campaigns people really recognize recognize it and sort of can repeat it back um bulb is another example that i cite Mm -hmm. a lot again you know just taking a pure commodity which is energy it comes off the same grid as everybody else's but building a movement around it with this idea of of positive energy like that was super smart Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, let's be honest, it speaks 100% to this kind of millennial mentality, which is we all want to peacock a little bit and feel good about ourselves. So it's like, oh, it's renewable. Well done me. But oh, look, I also get that 50 pound kicker. If I refer someone, it's a no, it's a total win win no brainer of why you would want to advocate for that versus something that makes you feel pure just kind of capitalist which is sharing your referral codes for a delivery or an uber or whatever you don't have that emotional connection with it so you know those are both great great brands and then you know i mean if, if you take it to the old school like i'm a, I'm a massive fitness love, lover and, and nike just nails it like they like end to end absolutely, for me, are, are the pinnacle. And, you know, you, I look at them and I look at everything that comes out from them. I think it speaks to innovation. I think it speaks to, you know, championing great people and, and often the people that others aren't championing. Um, it comes from, you know, really standing for something, empowering people to believe and to participate and engage. And, you know, I haven't said at any point they're their product. And that's pretty amazing. Um, and it makes me want to buy their product um sometimes but <laughs> I, Absolutely.
0: I remember I won my first job in London um, by answering this question and my response was Nike as well and such a huge fan of Shoe Dog I don't know if you've read yeah, wicked. Or, like, autobiography or memoirs or whatever but fascinating and just back to Bob because I think there's a really interesting point there it's one of the few examples of a um eco-conscious company where I haven't felt like as a customer, I know that's one of the advantages, but in terms of brand presentation and how customized and personalized their communications are and just the beauty of how they've used um I don't know what the word is. The only thing I can think of right now is kind of merge tagging technology in terms of personalizing the messaging that goes out. I think they've done it so incredibly well. They're so consistent across all platforms and ways to get, get in contact with me. Um I'm so impressed with them as a brand. Plus, like you say, I feel good using them. So uh, a great example of um, a Nike of sorts in their but own space.
1: I think that's key. and And actually, Bulb is a customer service business that's what it is. And it's in a market where customer service sucks. You can never get through to the big providers. You hate the experience. You feel so negatively about it. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's not like you suddenly love energy suppliers, but you feel warmly towards it. They speak to you like a human. They're telling you, you've saved this and it's planted X amount of trees. I mean, the reality is, it's not really that eco conscious in the grand scheme of things and if you interrogate it properly you soon find that out but that also speaks to the reality of the the mass are lazy and aren't really going to educate themselves or or go deep into it and we want those kind of headlines that make us feel good about ourselves or make it you know as we said easier to advocate for it and when you compare it to everything else on the market it's it's significantly better so you feel like you can in in good faith do that as well but the idea of, of customer service is key and it's you know what the what kind of underpinned a brand like zappos right and it was you know not just let's sell you shoes and other people's shoes because it's not even like they made them themselves but it was how do we put the customer at the forefront of every single thing that we're doing to the point where they do it to such a high level that amazon acquires them right
0: yeah Absolutely. I love how Zappos comes up in literally every business book that I read. <laughs> I feel like it's the um, it's the omnipresent uh, example of just how incredible customer service can be. Mm. Um, So, kind of in the same vein,
1: what is your favourite business book and why? I mean, we just talked about a couple of them, I guess. I have to be honest, I am not a massive lover of Business books. I think I like a story. And so that's why things like Delivering Happiness or Shoe Dog really resonate with me because it's got that you know really personal founder narrative it's a bit of an underdog sort of story and and it's got a story arc and, and you kind of you really are on their side by the end of it and you know not every brand has that potential to have their story be as interesting for it to sell you know loads of books or their brands to be big enough to merit that but those are the things that I tend to um go towards more often than not I can often feel like business books have a point that they then labor on <laughs> I'm like okay I got it um but I'm also someone I like examples so you know when I'm working with portfolio companies for example I always try and give examples and like tangible so you can picture yeah. it and, and that's, I guess, how I um, operate. I should probably say I actually contributed to a book all around raising money um, for the NHS charities, um, all around kind of excerpts from experts in marketing wow I said that and I thought I was going to really struggle with it but it was okay wow. um, yeah. what's it called uh, where can we get it so it's called excerpts from experts oh, sorry. all um, money is being donated to NHS charities as part of the COVID-19 appeal and it's basically for people sort of trying to break into marketing or wondering how to deal with various things you know some of similar type conversations we've been having today everything from you know what are your favorite campaigns to actually you know what piece of advice would you like to know now that you know if you sort of fast you know rewound to when you were starting out and all of that sort of stuff and it's all for for a good cause i think you can get it on wordery um i will send you a link to that brilliant and i will include that in the show notes and
0: uh, just back on business books i was listening to one of my favorite podcasts the other day with a couple of very cynical old guys um, who discuss everything marketing and new business and they so rightly said that the way you should approach a business book is to read the introduction and then go to the last chapter and that'll be pretty much everything you need to know and i cannot Count the number of books on my shelf where I've got to like chapter three, maybe thirty percent through, and felt like okay, I'm just reading the same thing five times over.
1: Yeah, I mean, I loved. I'm a massive hip hop and like music fan, so I liked Ben Horowitz just simply because I was like, oh, I know what reference that lyric. He's he opened <laughs> each chapter with with references and like lyrics from different hip hop songs, and I was like, oh, I like that song. And then I basically just had that song in my head for the entirety of what. One- <laughs> Was I went on to read so uh yeah it's another reason I love Tim Ferriss's
0: books like Tool of Tools of Titans Mm. as well you know where he just basically does a summary of all the smartest people and what they would recommend just like you said before what would they like to have known 20 years ago um in their career so yeah the um I'll take the highlights any day of the week (laughs) um and final question who should get in contact with you and when I anticipate you don't want to be bombarded with design agencies so is there a way you recommend that they um, interact with you
1: so I guess you know I love knowing about cool work that's being developed but I also just don't you know have time to meet every single agency I wish I did the easiest thing you know we have certain things like our founders pack that is somewhere where we provide discounts and offers and sort of recommend preferred suppliers and demonstrate kind of benefits they've created specifically for seed camp companies people who are willing and up for offering things like that are always great and just back to the idea of kind of you know what have you done and and what consideration have you put in around the portfolios i.e we've just worked on x brand which makes me think of x within the seed camp portfolio and similar challenges or you know here is how i would think through a problem that this current brand is facing that i've seen on your blog and here's how i would design this or, or whatever and you know i by no means want to create more work for people but it's also quite hard just on a meeting it's like yep yeah, you're nice you seem great. I'm sure you've done awesome stuff, but, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of of how you're going to work with the company without sort of spending more consistent time, you know, with your experiencing that. So yeah, stuff, stuff that makes it very easy to share. You know, the reality is most of the people who our startups work with are people that get recommended via the portfolio. You know, we have an internal comms uh, portal with a thousand founders in it. Um, and that's a pretty impactful way to get visibility but it also comes from having done the work for one of them to get recommended so I appreciate it's that kind of chicken and egg um, but often it's probably best to go direct to the company rather than by me if you think you're- <laughs> for, real, but for real like if, if you yeah. know you see our companies on our website if you think you can help them and there's a real need get in touch with them
0: absolutely and if you're serious about getting involved in the startup world then you do need to have a more customized approach you need to have a reason to get in contact with them because if you feel it's too much effort to write a customized email to that founder you're going to find out a hell of a lot more effort when you win that project and um, have to work in an agile basis with that company so get used to it
1: very well said <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, Natasha. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are. Um, I think this has probably been a really welcome introduction for a lot of our audience into how to best partner with companies like the CCAP portfolio.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Caffeine Espresso with me, Charlotte Ellis Moldari. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you can raid our past episodes and be the first to hear our new ones. And if you really liked it, please leave a review. Until next time, keep focused and keep growing, because one thing is for sure, the world needs more creative problem solvers just like you. Just before we wrap up, I want to touch on a crucial opportunity for your agency's growth. As a creative agency, your primary focus should be on delivering exceptional work not getting bogged down in sales and marketing. And that's where Lead Flow Sprint comes in. It's an eight-week program designed to streamline your lead generation process, bringing in a steady flow of potential clients to you. No more struggling with the ups and downs of trying to gain the attention of new business. Our program includes hands-on support, including direct input on your copywriting, ensuring a bespoke approach to your lead generation needs. No more feeling stuck in the feast or famine cycle. Our real-time support, including direct feedback on tasks like copywriting, helps you to bid farewell to inconsistently and embrace a lead generation system that's tailored to your unique needs. Visit caffeine.club slash LFS. That's K-A-F-F-D-EN dot C-L-U-B forward slash L -L 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 for Lima, F for Foxtrot, S for Sierra.